Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Pastor Larry is over and Jeannie is over at our North Campus today. They are celebrating a great transition there. Keith and uh, Christina Brumelow are coming in as the new pastors there, so we're excited for them and uh, looking forward for this new uh, season for the North Charleston Campus. But um, I want to get right into the Word with you today, and uh, we're in our series Kings and Kingdoms, and I've really been enjoying this myself and just looking at the different kings and the journey that Israel took uh, through those those beginning steps to see um, to see how they evolved out of the judges into the kings, and we see some good examples and we see some bad examples. And we're we've been talking about Saul the last couple of weeks, but before we even dig into scriptures, I think we can see presently and even look throughout our history as well. We see a lot of leadership. We can study them, and throughout history, we can see good leaders such as Washington and Lincoln and. And uh, Winston Churchill, Nelson Mandela, and Martin Luther King. I mean, they were great leaders. They did phenomenal things during their time. But we also see the other side of that as well, and just some poor leadership examples in Lenin and Caesar, Hitler, Chavez, and the likes. And so as we look through this, uh, the first kings of Israel, and we're studying this, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, King Saul. And we've seen a negative example of what a leader looks like. He's, he's a people pleaser. He's all about man, ple- pleasing man instead of God. He gets ahead of God. Uh, he, he's proud. He's disobedient. And you start to see he's starting to lose the grip on the kingdom because of his insecurity. And you start to see that unfold and it spirals out of control. And then you got this young guy that comes on the scene, David. And David is a great example. He's anointed to be the next king. Scripture says that he is a man after God's own heart. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to be known as that, a man after God's own heart. That's, that, w- that would be a, a great um, last statement at someone's funeral to say, hey, this was a man that was after God's own, this was a woman after God's own heart. And so that's David. Everything Saul was not. He was obedient. He was humble. He was full of faith. And we start to see these young steps toward leadership, toward kingship unfold as we read. So I want to take you guys to Second uh, Samuel to this morning. First um, Samuel, excuse me, First Samuel 17. And as you're turning there, I want you to stay with me this morning because if you've been in church for any given amount of time, you've heard this story many, many times. But even if you have not been raised in church, you've probably heard this story many, many times. One of the most famous stories in Scripture shows David winning an incredible battle that will mark him for life. So First Samuel 17, starting in verse 1 says this, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Socha, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socha and Azekah in Ephes Damon. Man, I'm, I'm glad I got through that first verse right there. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. All right, let's pause there. What's shekels? That make, that, you know, we don't talk like that in this day and time. This, this guy was huge. He was over nine foot tall. 
a very dominant presence there. And his, his weight of the armor itself was over 125 pounds. So this guy was a beast, okay? And he had, in verse 6, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, which is about 15 pounds. Just the spear itself was 15 pounds. That's a good weight right there. And a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you are the servants of Saul. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me with fight and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy... I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, and you're so good to us. And Lord, as we just come through this, this passage of Scripture and help us to see new things from it today, keep us open and receptive to your Holy Spirit. These are timeless stories, God, but they can speak even now. And keep us open to what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, wow, beast. The big, big guy right here we're talking about this morning. So, all right, so Ephes Damon, I'll give you a little bit of the backdrop of the story here just to kind of visualize the moment here. Ephes Damon in this passage means the valley of blood. So you've got the Philistine army on one side, up on the, the hillside here. And then on the other side, you have the Israelites, and down below is this valley where they would come and battle. It's called the Valley of Blood because most people would come down there and there's going to be some bloodshed. And someone's not going to make it out alive. So it was a very uh, a, a, a tough place, oppressive place to be. And so you have these, these, the dominance of the Philistines. And you have the Israelites kind of shaking in fear and seeing the presence of this individual. And in this story, as the army of Saul looked at Goliath, they had to think in their mind, I don't know if we can beat this guy. I mean, this guy is huge. What are we going to do about this? And for 40 days, he defied God. And he just shouted and taunted the Israelites. And Israel's tallest and strongest leader, strongest person there in the, was the leader of the army, and that was Saul. I mean, he was opposing person himself. He stood much taller than the individuals. He was over six foot tall, some commentaries say. And for that time period, that was tall. But he was shaking in fear himself. And Jonathan and his, his son Jonathan him were the only ones that had any kind of weapons. Because if you remember back a few weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that the Philistines had control over the metals and the blacksmiths of the area. And so the Israelite army outside of Saul and his son, they did not have anything to fight with really um, when it comes to metals. And so you got Saul, he's sitting in his tent and he's fearful. He's not coming out. He's not doing anything about it. And you can see that the presence of God isn't with him anymore. The spirit of God's boldness and authority and power and strength was gone. And, and it, so you know what it was doing as he was a leader, what it was doing to the Israelites in the military encampment there as well. And here's the crazy thing. As you read the story, he was, he was ready to give some extra bonuses and incentives for anyone willing to fight Goliath. He's like, hey, I'll even give one of my daughters in marriage and I'll, you won't never have to pay taxes again. <laughs> That's a, that would be a pretty nice incentive, you know? But you see, this kind of gives you an understanding of what's going on. 
So let's fast forward to today. What's, what does this have to do with where we're at today and now? In our culture today, guys, a lot of Christians are shaking in fear. They, they are scared. We, today, there's the giants and the Philistines are big, they're ugly, they're loud, they defy the army of God. And a lot of times, Christians, those that even go to church on every Sunday, are shaking because of the giant. Thinking if we just ignore, it'll go away. It'll go away. But Goliath was not going anywhere in the story, and Goliath is not going anywhere now. They, he continues to shout loud and clear, and every day this Goliath gets bigger and bigger and shouts at our souls. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Where are you going with this? What, who, who are the Goliaths today in our world? They go by names, violence, racial injustice, child abuse, pornography, abortion, addiction, poverty, hopelessness. The list goes on and on and on. You can add things to, to that as well. This Goliath has had a few challenges in recent years, but he, he has won. And we can go back and, and we, can, we can see through the last 40 years, even here in America, of the, uh, of, of the babies being killed. Abortion rampant in our country. Over nearly 60 million voices have been silenced since the Roe versus Wade. And regardless of where you stand on that, you know, just knowing that 60 million innocent souls that never got a chance to, to, to live were taken out, snuffed out. It's, it's the greatest genocide of our day. And it's sad. And you pray to your God and you get ridiculed. And you, you, so you send positive vibes to people because you, we don't want to say that we're praying for someone. What does a positive vibe really do? I mean, come on, I'm sending you a vibe. All right, get this. It's positive, I promise. Now, I'll pray for you, but I'm not sending you a positive vibe because they don't do nothing, <laughs> okay? But prayer works. Prayer is, prayer is where things happen. I don't know if unicorns and rainbows really change the world, but I know someone that can, and that's God, okay? Goliath comes into our homes and into our computer screens on the onslaught of pornography, destroying families, the definition of family is being altered. It's, it's, it's amazing how much has changed just in the last 10 years. The fatherless generation is upon us, and it's coming strong and it's growing. Where validation and our identity is shaped as a young child needing a mother and a father. I'll say this. Let me pause real quick. If you're a single parent or you're a single mom in this room, I commend you for what you have had to do to raise a family without a father. And I'm just speaking for the dads in this room. We've got to step up. We are the ones that set such a positive example to our children. We're validating who they are as individuals. But we see it seeping into our culture and we find adults that are self-medicated, insecure, and violent because of a childhood where that was absent. And while our kids are being indoctrinated in schools and through media, we, we throw an iPad in their face or an iPhone and let that raise them if you are not discipling your children, someone is, something is. So we have to understand those things. And we're fearful sometimes to take a stand against this giant of political correctness. And it runs rampant. So who would stand up to this giant in this story? Who stands up to the giant today? The answer in this story would come from a teenager. Bringing a lunch of cheese sandwiches to three of his seven brothers there in this military encampment. And David's vision and his mindset was very different from the Israelites. 
They saw the giant challenging the army and saying, send a man to do something about it. But David heard Goliath, and he wasn't looking just at him defying the army. He was looking at him. He was defying the army of God, the living God. And so the first thing he did is he took up his cause, taking up his cause. David's eyes were on the almighty God, and his heart got stirred in those moments. He sees Goliath spewing this venom and toward the Israelites and saying, is anyone going to do something about this? Is there not a cause worth fighting for? And the cause was greater than his own comfort or his own safety because he did not want his kids growing up under Philistine rule. And if we don't have a cause worth fighting for, guys, then what are we living for? Because what will happen is we will become spiritually complacent. We have to have something worth fighting for. For, for me, I'm just going to be who I am. I was raised in dysfunction, so I want to raise my kid in a functional home where they have a mom and a dad who loves God, is centered on him, and doing everything they can to raise them in the faith and what it really truly means to be a follower of Jesus. That means everything to me, just to have a commitment that will last long term, where they can look back years from now and say, man, my parents have been married for 50 years. It's hard to find that in this culture in this day and time. But what stirs you up? What gets you going? What challenges you? What gets you amped? Beyond the drink, okay? We should all have something we are passionate about and passionate for. Our cause is clear. It's the kingdom of God. And Jesus sets a great example standing there before Pilate before he's crucified. He makes a clear distinction in John 18. He says, his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus came to declare the truth. The gospel, the truth that will set us free, the truth that will help anyone that is in darkness. If they find him, they will be brought out into the light. Grace and mercy will come and surround them and set them free. That is a cause worth living for. That is a cause we should be speaking about. Freedom. That is something to be stirred about. But understand that we're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against and attacking personalities. This isn't a physical battle. It's a spiritual one. And getting in the midst of this spiritual battle for souls of, of men and women and not letting those taunts of Goliath to go unnoticed because we stand for truth. We have a cause. We have a hope. We have a message. So first is taking up his cause. Secondly, train. we have to train for his battle. We have to train for his battle. David was young. In the story, and, and when he speaks, you know, what, you know, is anybody going to do anything about this? I mean, some of the guys laughed at him. Some of them were just angry. His, his own brothers were mad at him. Like, come on, David. Go, go. You don't have a clue what's going on. Go back into the woods. Go back up there on the hillside. Take care of your sheep. You know? He's like, what do you know? Yet it should show that no matter our age in life, God can use us. God can use us. And David may have only had a few bear scars or, or lion cuts, but he won. And what was interesting is you learn as you read the story of David, learning about the power of God in him. And as he was tending the sheep on the, mount, on the, the hillside and, and, and shepherding over them and watching over them, he learned to use a sling. He learned to, uh, you know, take out those, those true targets, those predators that were coming after him. He won those battles and those small victories set him up for greater things later on. And it's those small private victories that were setting him up for this public display of God's power in and through him. 
God is always preparing us, guys. God is always preparing and watching us. I love Luke 16.10. If we're faithful in the little things, you'll be, he'll be, you'll be faithful in large ones. It starts in those little things. And David's public victory over Goliath was a result of those private victories on hillsides with sheep in a secret fellowship with God. I remember back uh, years ago, I had a guy that was just real ambitious and, and he wanted to get involved. He felt like God was calling him into ministry and he's like, man, I just want to, I want to preach. I want to, I want to teach. I want to do all these things. I want to pastor a church or pastor a ministry and do all this. And I was like, that's awesome. That's great. And I started giving him little things to see how he would do with that. And he got frustrated with it because he wanted to do the big things. And I took him this passage of scripture and said, let's start slow. Let's work through this. God will open the doorways for you. And I'll never forget when I was at Southeastern years ago, they said, before you ever get into a pulpit and preach to hundreds or thousands of people, you need to learn how to clean a toilet first. And I was like, that's a really weird analogy. But it makes sense because if we are faithful in those little things up front, down, you know, back in our past, it will come out later on in life to realize where your source, your strength comes from. It's not in your own power and strength. And, and David knew this as he was training for his battle and getting ready. And those that run marathons, they know this as well, that it's those small, shorter mileage victories that set them up for the big day later on. Third is take up your weapons. We have a cause, we have a battle, and then it's weapons as well. You see later in this passage that David had, has a conversation with Saul about what he sees happening. And after, after they have this conversation in the tent, basically he stirs up a bunch of commotion. And so Saul hears about this, says, hey, bring him to me. They start talking. And they're in the tent. And after a few minutes, Saul sees that the spirit of God is on David. And he releases him to fight him. I mean, here's this young guy. And he's like, sure, go for it. Here's my weapons. Here's my armor. And he gives them to David to fight him. But these weapons would not work for David. They were heavy. They limited movement and had been untested by him. They were not his own. They were actually made by the Philistines. And he was only comfortable in his own skin, only comfortable with what, what he knew. And that was him with a sling and a couple stones. And sometimes we get caught up and assume our techniques and strategies will give us a victory over the enemy. But they keep us sometimes from moving forward with God because we're not using what he's given us. We're trying to use what someone else had or be someone else that we're not. And God's saying, be who you are. I've given you the gifts. I've given you the personality. You can do great things in and through me. You don't need anyone else. You don't need anything else. Trust me. And ironically, the Philistines used swords to fight, and David used a weapon that was very different than that, a sling, a sling. And he would go with a sword that was greater, and that was the sword of the Spirit, God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Guys, I'm going to be honest this morning. I don't believe we will ever change the world through the political process of man. Having our voices heard is great, but alone that is not sufficient enough. There has to be a change here in the heart, 
And it will not, it will not be done with great speech, anger, revenge, judgmentalism. We must love our enemies, even when they think we are crazy. And I have been called that sometimes. You're nuts. Yeah, I probably am. That's okay. I'm nuts for him. I'm okay with that, okay? If that's what you want to think. Our anger, though, should be aimed at Satan, the greatest giant of all, and his demonic forces, not at those that are held in captivity. Do we realize there's a lot of people outside the doors of this church that are held in bondage and captivity? They may shout anger and venomous things toward us, but we have to look at it from a spiritual perspective and not coming back against them. Their eyes have not been opened to the truth. The truth will set them free, and it's our job to go and speak the truth. Sometimes it will land, sometimes it won't, but we still speak the truth in love regardless because it's a spiritual battle. The world doesn't need further condemnation, guys. It needs a savior. And our weapons, what are our weapons? What do they look like? I wanna hit these really quick. They're on the back of your uh, bulletin this morning. But you have the word of God. The word of God, the written word has power. How many times have we read the word, read the scriptures, and it's like you read that like six months ago, you read it again, it like hits you, and it's like, oh man, it's like something new, a new revelation. It's living, it's so good, and it just hits us in so many ways. It's powerful. We also have the word of our testimony. Our story cannot be refuted. I mean, no one can argue your story. You can get an apologetic conversation all day about what you think about this and how old the earth is and all this kind of stuff, and really, was Adam and Eve, and all this stuff, but no one can refute the story of your life and what God has done in you. I mean, they can, they can question it all they want, but there's really, there's not an argument that will hold up. Third, the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus. It breaks the curse of sin. Aren't we thankful for Calvary this morning? We also have the name of Jesus, the authority in that name. And as you see in the story, Goliath came out to battle in his own name. But David came to battle in the name of the Lord. Fifth, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that boldness and that power that we get through that. We see that all through Scripture and also prayer. Something that is just, a lot of times we don't pause for those moments where we just intercede for others and also just bask in His presence and communicate with Him. Prayer is so powerful. It surrounds us with the armor of God. And you can read so much more of this in Ephesians 6 that talks about that armor and what that looks like in our life. But once your weapons are in place, you're ready to run. You're ready to meet the giant head on and run to your giant. Run to your giant. It all comes down to faith. Our response to the word of God and what he says to us and taking it from theory to reality. And that is when you see the written word of God in action. In action. All Israel believed that day that they should fight the Philistines. But fear locked them down. It paralyzed them. And on human terms, Goliath was invincible. I mean, think about that. That's a big NBA player right there. Over nine foot tall guys shouting all this stuff. I mean, if somebody came in here and was nine foot tall shouting a bunch of stuff to us, we'd look at a minute and go, whoa, you know. I mean, three, 400 pounds, maybe more. Who, we, we don't know exactly. But for 125 pounds of a weighted armor on him, can only imagine how much he, he physically weighed. And so on human terms, he seemed invincible. But David wasn't looking at the situation in human terms. 
He wasn't looking at it through human strength and capability. David not only believed that the battle was the Lord's, but he was bold enough to attack the giant. This young guy going after this massive individual. And here you got to ask yourself some questions this morning. Are you going to stay in the trenches like Saul did and the Israelites? Or are you going to run into the battle? Do you believe you're called up to take your sling of spiritual weaponry and make a difference? I've said this for years, and, and many of us have. Our actions speak louder than, and there's a lot of truth in that. But staying silent is not going to make anything change. Cowering at work or, or school and not speaking life and love into others and helping them to understand this life-changing message is for them, this hope. If we stay silent, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, but Aaron, you don't understand the giants in my life. They're scary. What if I'm laughed at? What if I'm looked down upon? What if I lose my job? Do we trust our Father? When you ask those kind of questions and then come back with that, do we truly trust that he's got our, our needs met, that he's going to take care of us if we speak up for him? So what if you lose your reputation? A soul is worth more than a reputation. And I'm thankful for someone, a man that came into my life and spoke truth into my life when I didn't want to receive it because I'm where I'm at today because of it. And all of us in this room, someone, it was a little fearful to, to come out and say something to some of you that were raised later. Maybe you weren't raised in the, a Christian home, but later in life, someone led you into that understanding and that message of hope, and you came to experience him. It, it was scary to take that first step to share, but aren't you thankful that they did? Or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be in this relationship with him today, with Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that. And here's David. He goes down. He has this moment. He, he's there in the valley with Goliath. And everybody's kind of sitting there waiting and wanting to know what's going to happen. You can only imagine the thoughts going through their mind. The sling takes the rocks, pulls it back, hits, hits him in the forehead. Goliath goes down. He's out, cold. David not only just stops there, he goes, takes Goliath's knife, slays him, cuts his head off, and raises it up to the people. I mean, what boldness in that moment. Holding up this bloody head of Goliath on that day, showing everyone that the power of God, any giant can be slayed. Any giant can be overcome. No matter the weight, no matter the size, they appear to be in front of us. And the Israelites rejoiced. They jump into battle and they, had, they charged ahead and won the battle that day. And it's amazing how previously they were faithless, fearful, unbelieving. And yet one person stood up in that moment to slay a giant, to become a giant killer. And entire faith of an army was changed because of that moment. And the parallels between David and, and Jesus are so amazing. Young David and, and is the coming, uh, soon coming king in the making. One man won a victory for an entire nation. And Israel reaped those benefits. And you see the lineage of Jesus come out of David and his line later on, this offspring later, that would defeat the biggest giant of all, and that's Satan on the cross. And so this is a great, great story 
of showing what can happen when we truly believe that the giants of our life can be overcome and defeated. They can, not in our own power and strength, but in Christ and in Christ alone. And this king that we serve, Jesus, set that example for us and says that you can do even greater things than I did. But do we believe that this morning? That when we have a culture that's pushing against us and we feel like we're swimming upstream so many times, can we overcome? First of all, I think we have to pause and step back to say, where are we at ourselves? What giants do we have maybe in our own life that we have to overcome? As our worship team starts to come back out, I want to ask my altar workers to make their way down this morning. I want to read Psalm 37, 39 this morning to you. 39 and 40 says, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Here, uh, he is the strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust him. Now, this right here was mostly probably written right after the battle of Goliath and shows David's confidence in God. It shows the cause he lives for and the faith to carry out God's plans that would take him through his kingship. And we can learn from this and this faith that David had that we don't have to hide in fear, guys. We are overcomers. We are victorious. We have won the battle, has been won for us on the cross. And the giants of the world are no match for God. We're called to be giant killers, just like David was in this story. 1 Peter 2.9 helps us understand this. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. I think one of the biggest things that we see right now in and outside of the church is an identity crisis. In the church, you have to know who you are in him. What gives me the boldness and strength to preach up here this morning is him. It's not me. It's him in and through me. And it's the same power and strength that you have. Tap into that source. Tap into that power and know it's there for you. You can make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.